Welcome back, Pubcasters. It's your host, Tim Hunzi of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. I got to tell you, this one is the best one yet because we have my friend, Katie Jellen, the founder of Honestly Good Music, and she's going to give you the do's and don'ts of sync and creative licensing. Hey, welcome back, AIMP Nashville Pubcast listeners. I'm excited to talk about one of my favorite subjects today, sync and creative licensing. And I'm really pumped to have my friend Katie Jellen here. She is the founder of her own company, Honestly Good Music. Katie, welcome aboard. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. It's great to be here. Oh, man, we're going to have a lot of fun. But let's get this kicked off. Why don't you give us a quick highlights of what got you to this point in your career? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the quick and dirty version, uh, originally from Philadelphia, I moved out to LA for a job that ended up falling through by total happenstance, landed at a company called Secret Road, which was and still is sort of, you know, the best of the best with music licensing. Um, So I got my start there and over my seven years there, really learned the ins and outs of sync and the music business. Did everything at the company from management to artist development, helped them launch their publishing company. That's ultimately what got me to Nashville was here on the ground for Secret Road for a number of years, and then was just kind of ready for the next challenge, jumped over to Warner Music Group. And when I was at Warner, I spent about five years building out their licensing business here in Nashville. So I was split between the recorded music side and Warner Chapel Publishing, and really kind of got an Ivy League education in publishing and sync at really just the highest levels with that. I mean, their catalog's amazing. So that was five years. And then you know, when the pandemic was sort of starting to slow a little bit, I sort of was ready for the next challenge and decided to leave and start my own uh, company. So I, I launched Honestly Good Music a little over a year ago, and I'm just signing my own roster of writers, artists, and producers across all genres and spend my days pitching across all media. You're being humble, I know. Having just been an observer and watching you, I think we actually met when you were at Secret Road originally, but then yeah. watching what you did at chapel and following you on social media and seeing your career, you've put together some really great branding and opportunities that I have just really been enamored with. I think you're one of the rock stars in this business. So I'm just going to say cheers to that. So again, super excited to have you join. Just for fun uh, name dropping sake, what, who are some of the artists that you were able to work with getting to this point? I think one of the coolest things about working, you know, at a company like Warner was just, I mean, that catalog was all the stuff that I grew up listening to. I mean, being from Philadelphia, you know, the sound of Philadelphia, getting to work the Gamble and Huff catalog and pitching those songs that were literally like part of my growing up. That for me was the coolest part. I got to work with Liz Rose on an advertising campaign for Lando Lakes Butter. And that was just like, Man, watching Liz sort of do what she does, I quickly realized why she is Liz Rose and why she is as massive as she is because she's just a genius and a class act. So I think getting to work with names like that and talents at that level is just, you know, there's really nothing like it. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Well, you're learning, like having come to Nashville from, from LA, you I've always said Nashville for my many I'm 30 years in now, but is the epicenter of songwriters and creativity to me. It's just like this, not as not in other places, but the community as a whole and being able to work so hands-on is such a beautiful part of, of what we do. And that leads me into a question that 
I guess you probably noticed having worked at Secret Road and they wanted to open up this this Nashville office, they realized, you know, the talents that's here. But I think Nashville's a little slower. Like we'd always thought of, at least I did coming up. Sync was like the bonus gravy money that just kind of <laughs> floated in when you had a hit. Yeah. But we've seen over the last probably eight to 10 years, I think, where we've become sync focused because we realized, well, part of it was the decline of sales and moving into the digital world, but and trying to up your, you know, your net profits. But man, sync has really gotten a highlight. But what I've noticed is the challenge for me as a music publisher, so many writers come to me and they're like, oh, I think I can write sync. And I'll, <laughs> I'll define what I, they mean by that. I write some really weird left of center stuff and it feels like it should be sync. So why don't we start off with what do you think defines a good sync writer? Like, what is it that, that you think really br highlights that skill set? Not just random weird songs that seem a little more ethereal. <laughs> so true. Well, you know, I think the, the thing that I realized when I first started at Chapel was, I mean, exactly what you're saying. I, I sort of had to train the A&R team. I think Chapel has one of the best A&R teams of anywhere, but knowing what makes a song work for sync versus a song that maybe just isn't a great song. You know, there's, there's sort of an art in that. And I've been doing this a long time and I, and I know what that difference is now, but I think Nashville in particular has this thing of like, oh, well, we can't pitch this song for whatever country acts or whatever pop acts. So let's send it to the sync girl. And I finally had to tell the team, like, stop sending me your throwaway songs just because it can't work for your purposes doesn't mean it's good for mine. And so, you know, during my time there, I kind of started to show them like the difference and they really did sort of pick up on it, which was really cool to watch. I think you need to know that like a sync song isn't a throwaway song. A sync song is just as good as your top songs that you're pitching for artists. It's just a different way of writing and it's a different way of looking at lyric and it's a different way at looking of looking at production. I think just like setting that standard that is equal to the standards in other areas. And, you know, I would tell them it's not this, it shouldn't be the saving grace, you know, A&R and pitching, plugging songs for cuts, you know, that's one oar on the boat and sync should be another. And we should be sort of pushing at the same time to grow a writer or an artist's career. We shouldn't be sort of putting more weight on one or the other. It's all important. That's that's what I, I think there's a misnomer in that because I, I too I went through an education when I owned Parallel, my my own company at the time, and realizing this transition. And I had a writer, Blake Bollinger, who wrote with uh Tommy Prophet and Sam Tanez, guys that are, are known in, in the sync space. And I think my eyes were open. They wrote a song, it was actually written for a brief that I believe originally was from Mitchell Lieb at Disney that sent a brief in. And they tried to write to it and he didn't accept the song for that. But that song ended up going on getting like four different placements. And one of them is called Hold On For Your Life. One of them made like all said and done. I made like top 10 money from that song. And I remember Wendy at Resonant was the one that was working Sam's. We had an agreement that she would, you know, I'd help her out on the on my end as well. And she was placed. I remember calling going. Okay, I need to know, like, what separates this song? So I'm learning here. And she goes, well, in your world, this is what I call a hit. So maybe <laughs> talk. Well, it was interesting. It was an interesting combo. But for interest of, like, educating some people, what is it you would think you hear in a song that separates it to, to, to define what you call a hit? For me, you know, in my world, it's like a catchy little chorus. It usually has something to say, you know, this big melody. But 
lyrically and melodically, it tends to be a little bit different in your world. And I know this is a broad stroke yeah. answer here, but totally. like, how would you define a hit or define or help a writer look to write in that world? Yeah, for sure. And I think what you're saying, like, you know, having them write to a brief and it not landing for that thing, but landing for a lot of other things. I mean, that's super common. I mean, I would say, you know, both at Secret Road and Warner Chapel, some of our biggest, most licensed songs were ones that were written for something and didn't land the thing. And then it ended up almost being better because it worked for so many other things. So, you know, I always tell my writers, like, don't get discouraged if you don't land the opportunity because there's probably a lot more around the corner for the song. So it's like we're using that opportunity as an exercise to create the song. But, you know, there's so many more you know, places we can pitch it. You know, I, I think what defines a great sync song, it's different for every area. So what might be great for a TV show is going to probably be different for a trailer. It's going to be different for an ad. I mean, I think generally speaking, it's songs that are more general. And I think that is what makes, you know, country music in particular really hard to sync because, you know, the art of writing a great country song is a very specific personal pointed lyric. And those sort of like, aha, like I love how they flipped that lyric or, you know, the payoff at the end and it sort of takes the whole song. And like, we're living in like 15 to 30 second little moments in sync. It's sort of that magic of saying everything and nothing at the same time. You want it to be general so that, you know, I can pitch it for emotional TV scene, but maybe it would also work for like, a toilet paper spot, you know, because it's like general enough that you don't know if you're singing about like a romantic partner or if you're singing about your dog. Or I think the really good sync writers are really good at pouring themselves into a lyric and making it very emotional, but pulling themselves away from it enough where it can work and connect with so many different people in so many different areas. Trailers and ads are a little different because it's more about selling the excitement or selling the thing. And so those sort of live in like smaller little biteable moments of like, you know, look at this, check this out, buy this thing. It's like you want to hit it quick. You want to hit it hard. And you want to get people excited about whatever it is you're trying to get in front of them, whether it's a film or a product. It's really just thinking of ways that you can connect with a lot of different people in like very succinct general ways. I've always told them it's more emotional. Like you mentioned that word. I said it, you're writing for an emotion typically in sync to attach to. And uh, I worked with uh, Drew Sherrod when I had my time at Anthem. He was our in-house Nashville sync guy. And he would just... Writers would send him songs they thought would work, kind of probably how you felt. And he kept saying, you can't say Chevy truck or Bud Light. It's got to be generic <laughs> if you want me to pitch this. And so trying to retrain their thought processes is is very hard. And 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 typically as well, I find, and he used to have them, he would post them up. He'd send them out every year. Here's the current trends. You know, like what in general they're looking for. Did, could, would you talk to a little bit of that, like what you see? Because it like, one year it was like Billie Eilish was hot. So it was like Billie Eilish leaning stuff with broader themes and happy. That was another one. He always said, they want happy songs. So are there some trends and how do you define that for those that may not understand what we're talking about? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's the game has changed a little bit. You know, I don't think it's necessarily as clean cut as like you're saying before. Like, I definitely think there were these trends of like, you know, Lord when Lord was a thing and then Billie Eilish and you know, that came in like really hot and everything sounded like that. 
I think because there's just so much content being created now, both in film and television and in advertising, that it's a little bit less obvious. I mean, I think generally sync is going to follow what's happening on the charts. So obviously, TikTok has been a big thing the last couple of years. So I think that definitely sort of sets a lot of the trends of like when a song pops off, you know, pops off on TikTok, the supervisor is going to be looking for stuff that sounds like it could maybe live in the TikTok universe. So I think that's a little bit harder to define because it's like always my favorite when a client is like, you know, send us the next like TikTok hit. Like I'm so like I'm some like, you know, savant where I'm going to be like see into the future and know what's going to pop off on TikTok next because, you know, it's like. It could be a random song from the 70s that someone speeds up or chops up and then it sort of pops off or it can be a totally brand new hip hop song or something. So it's so all over the place. It's kind of it's kind of hard to know. So, you know, I tell people like what's happening on the charts will probably happen in sync sort of a year or so sort of trails behind. You know, I think for me right now, telling artists to really just lean into authenticity. That's been my big focus instead of being like, hey, like, listen to this song and write something like it. It's like, what is authenticity to you? Like, what are you listening to? What what inspires you? Because if you're doing something interesting and authentic, chances are like someone else will connect with that. I don't know. I, I think Sync in the last couple of years has gotten a little too paint by numbers. And I think supervisors have gotten a little burnout on that. And frankly, I have too. So I think like telling artists, like challenging them, like, don't try to follow the trends, try to create what the next one is going to be. I love that. Yeah, that's 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 how I like to tell mine is to really pay attention. I like and every now and again, one will send, I watch this TV show. This song sounds like, which I'm like, applaud. Very good. You're learning. You're paying attention. <laughs> totally. Have you seen a transition in commercials and advertising? It feels like now I don't watch as much regular TV. I typically binge watch. And then now when you have ad services, the, the ads are so short. You know, they're much shorter. You have 30-second clips. And have you seen that affect sync? And how does that look? And is that a trend that's going to continue? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's changing a lot. You know, well, one, I think ads in general are a lot more fragmented. So like, whereas, you know, historically a brand maybe license a, a, one song for a global campaign, and they would use it across all media and all territories. Like now, because you can target consumers so specifically through social media, they might have five, 10, like they might have multiple different creatives that they're rolling out in different territories for different demographics. So I think that is definitely changing the game because, you know, the campaigns are a lot more chopped up and a lot more targeted. So, you know, I do think that there are, because of that, more opportunities to pitch your music and have it placed. I do think that, you know, the consumer attention span is decreasing because I think of TikTok and a lot of this like more like biteable media brands targeting those platforms is, you know, not something that's going away anytime soon. So, you know, usually when we're pitching for spots, they're asking to license seven seconds to 30 seconds because, you know, with all versions and cut downs. So they're going to have maybe their 30 second spot that will maybe live on, you know, regular TV and streaming, but then they're going to have their little, you know, short blips that are going to live on TikTok and Instagram reels and, and all these other places. So 
yeah, it's definitely changing, changing the game. And I think, like I said before, the more you can have these like little biteable moments in your music, like that's just going to give it more opportunity for us to, to pitch it. interesting you know mentioning tiktok like even writers will write with more tiktok heavy or you know not always just tiktok but reels or whatever my writer came back and goes it's the first time i've written with somebody go oh that one part will be great for my t- oh that's great and it's a different way of thinking of writing i feel it's probably the same in that space now in that advertising part because it's just different it moves fast too Oof, so fast all right, now I want to jump into the tech side, you know, or technically speaking, because if if a publisher is listening and they're like, all right, I want to start, you know, pitching toward, you know, to some music supervisors and reaching out, what should they be prepared for? And I'll be, you know, like, I know, like, you like to have different versions of the songs, you really need to have the splits, yada, yada. You want to touch on some of that that's really important to to educate people on? Sure. So I would say, you know, if you want to start pitching for sync, first and foremost, I would get your catalog up on disco. It's what I use to pitch songs. Um, It's sort of become the industry standard with regard to how supervisors want to receive music from publishers and sync companies. I would spend some time learning that front to back. (laughs) And then in terms of, you know, your catalog, when I have um, writers turning in songs to me, I mean, I pretty much only ingest waves at this point especially because disco will convert everything automatically depending on what the client needs. So I just automatically start with waves. So, you know, you're going to need the full wave, the instrumental wave. If there's a TV track available, which would be like an instrumental and then any non-lyrical vocals. So like ooze, ahs, any of those sort of vocal moments, that would be a TV track. If it makes sense to have that, have that as well. You know, obviously artist name, songwriters, publishing splits, master splits, So, I mean, every single song, when it goes out the door, I know every single writer, I know every single co-pub attached. If I'm pitching for a certain budget parameter, I've already had a conversation with the co-publisher, the co-master owner to make sure that I'm not pitching something that isn't going to clear. So yeah, I mean, really doing the legwork on the front end so that once the song is out the door to a client... If they hit you back, like you already have all the answers. Like a lot of times we don't have the luxury of going and then chasing down all the information. So before you even pitch a song, you want to make sure you have all of that buttoned up. Or, you know, if a supervisor comes back and asks you questions you don't have answers to, like you could be losing your shot right then. So I always want to be five steps ahead. I mean, and even like if there's artwork available for it or, you know, any of that stuff, social handles, you know all of that stuff can come into play. So just making sure you have all your ducks in a row before you even start is super important. I've noticed ours always when uh, we use disco. So our sync team, their, their metadata is so specific and who to contact, what it is, how to do it, you know, all the things. And for clarity, I like to play the dumb guy in the room. So (laughs) for those that may not understand, there is a copyright, which is the writers and the publishers. The master would be the sound recording so you got to make sure who owns the recording and all that kind of stuff and who owns what. And I have a problem where I sent a song one time a long time ago when I was really starting out in the business. And I think it was that movie Country Strong and Randall Poster was the sound, uh, the music supervisor. And I knew this song was perfect. It just sounded I was doing it like a song plugger would. And I just sent it to him. Well, I had two uh, independent writers on it. The, the demo, the guy that was singing it was 
I had a record deal and it was a demo and I had to upgrade to a master and he loved it and it became, dude, it was, oh God, dude, I learned so much. And Randall wasn't necessarily a pleasant on that because it was some issues, but he really wanted it and I, it ended up working out, but it was so much legwork. It stressed me out. That's where I learned like, get your shit together. If you're going to pitch sync, they are not playing around. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really important. I mean, music supervisors, you know, especially today, they have to take on a lot of work to pay their bills. You know, there's just plug them, plug it real quick. You know, the Guild of Music Supervisors and music supervision community right now is really pushing to unionize, which, you know, I think would be really fantastic. They are overworked and underpaid. And whatever we can do as the pitching people to make their lives a little bit easier so they can sort of get their projects done and out the door and onto the next one. I mean, really, that's that's our job. So, you know, I tell writers, like, do what you can to make my job easier. And then I'm going to do what I can to make my client's job easier. And at the end of the day, hopefully the stars align and the use happens. I mean, I say every use is like a miracle to me. Like, you know, the fact that anything ends up on TV and we get paid, I'm like, it's, you know, they're all exciting to me, whether it's $500 or, you know, $100,000. It's all, it's all a gift. So like, just do what you can to make it possible. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is hosted by yours truly, Tim Hunzi, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. And this has been a Dime Collective production. 